black ball. Black 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 ball. Welcome everybody to Black Bold. My name is James DeFiore and today is kind of a special day for me. Um, when I was a kid, I had two friends uh, and we used to dream about one thing constantly throughout our youth and that was to visit every single Major League Baseball stadium in the Major Leagues. We ate and slept baseball and we, we imagined getting into a car and going to Fenway Park and going to the Bronx and going to Yankee Stadium and driving all across the country and then back up to Canada and just visiting all the ballparks. That's how nutty we were about baseball. My guest today had the pleasure and the privilege, I think he would say, of doing something similar, I would say. When he got to tour hip hop history from one bookend to the other, uh, when he did what I consider to be the greatest hip-hop documentary of all time, Hip-Hop Evolution. Um, I've watched it about six times, I think, now, because I just love hip-hop that much. And um, the whole time I'm watching it, because I was, I'm obviously familiar with our next guest and his music, the only thing I kept on thinking is, how does this guy keep his composure? How, do, how does someone do that when, when they're walking? And the way I described it to a buddy, it's like he was walking inside his dream. He was definitely walking inside my dream. And, um, and we want to talk about uh, that with him today, along with a whole bunch of other stuff, because he's about to go on tour. And um, yeah, his name is Shadrach Cabango, a.k.a. Shad. And Shad, welcome to the show, buddy. Um, listen. Yeah, thanks, man. There was a... Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm finding you. You're right there. Um, thank you, man. Thank you for coming, first of all. The idea of being able to walk through, and we're gonna to get to the tour and stuff, but I, I need to ask you this, because I've been wanting to ask you this for years now, because Hip Hop Evolution wasn't just a documentary created by an amazing um, you know, production team out of Canada. Um, it was what I consider to be like the authority over hip hop history. And when I was watching you talk to all of these legends, I was really distracted by what it must have been like to be you sitting in front of them. And like, I, so my first question is, when you got the, the when you got the, 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 the gig to do it, what was it like when you sat down and, and you knew what you were about to do, what you were about to embark on, what was it like for you to sit down or lie down in your bed or whatever and stare at the ceiling and then just allow yourself to get lost in what you were about to do? What was that like? It's, it's still a little surreal to me, to be honest. Um, in August, this is the accepted, you know, birthday of hip hop. So every year people will shout out Cool Herc, they'll shout out the pioneers. And I'll see 
a clip of me with Cool Herc floating around and it still feels surreal to me. Um, I was nervous for every single interview uh, because these are my heroes and the people whose shoulders I stand on. So yeah, uh, I was nervous in the good way, you know, real, made me really want to get prepared and, uh, and, and also, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the interview. You know, a lot of, a lot of my job I felt like with the show was just to try to help those guys get back to the time where they made their seminal work, you know, because some of them, it's been 23, you know, talk to Ice-T, for example, right? Like he's moved on. Yeah, He still loves music, but he's moved on in many ways. So, you know, my job is to try to get him back to, okay, well, but what was it like in LA in 1983? You know? Yeah. And, and, and so that they can just tell the story from a, you know, real place of remembering what it was like, because fortunately a lot of them have moved on to amazing things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what though, you, you, I think you were the perfect person for that job for that, for that, um, role, I guess you would say, um, because you have a, you have an authenticity to you. You're not afraid to smile at people. You made Snoop Dogg cry telling a story that you know that he's told thousands of times in his life, right? Like, and, yeah. and I, like my hat off to you, brother, because that is one of those jobs where I don't know how <laughs> someone like me would have handled it. Like was, dude, I saw your reflect, this is fucking crazy. I saw your reflection in Kumo D's shades. And I'm just like, I don't even know. Cause I listened to how you like me now for like a year and a half, just like straight every single day, lip syncing it in the, in the reflection of my window in my bedroom and stuff like that. But like, you know, to, to sit down in front of him, like, you know, I have so many questions about that documentary and I know it's like six years old now, but it is. And I think I heard you say, actually, let me play a clip because I think you might've okay. said it um, on this show. But um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna play this because I want to pivot into something else because I know that you have a lot going on. So just just let's listen to this. I think what's fascinating to me about those early days is the way that you can actually track it a lot more clearly because we don't they didn't have the internet back then. Now culture it just spreads so fast and moves in so many different directions. Yeah. Whereas back then you could actually follow it out of the Bronx into the other boroughs. You could follow it over to uh, to the West Coast and where it picks up those distinctly West Coast influences. Now, um, yeah, geographical influences, it's just not the same sort of yeah. thing, you know? Um, so I could see the culture evolving in any number of ways, but actually just so fast and in a way that's very difficult to track. So um, I don't know where it's going next. It's Crazy. really because some kid on the internet could hear, hip, you know, hip hop yeah. on the other side of the world and completely innovate and uh, and inspire somebody and that could happen in 24 hours whereas before the culture took time to move and you could actually track its movement right. through people yeah you were on breakfast television saying that and and the whole thing about hip-hop culture if you're not into hip-hop people don't understand why people put the word culture next to it you know there's not really much of a discussion about rock and roll culture the only thing that i can even think of that comes close is electronic music because when I was, um, when I was like in my early twenties, I was throwing raves and, um, I fell into it cause I just happened to get a roommate whose, uh, whose other roommate was like the biggest rave promoter in, in Toronto. So I fell into the scene with the people that were like leading the scene. 
and there was a culture there. It was a culture of like friendliness and, and, and openness and empathy and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but hip hop culture is, it's so different because it allows itself to be malleable depending on what corner of the world you're trying to express the art form in. Um, that, it, it yeah, is cool brought up electronic music because hip hop is electronic music. So that's why maybe there's that similarity a little bit in terms of like, there is really a culture around it. And especially, you know, back in the eighties, nineties, you know, even early two thousands, um, part of that might be that when you talk about electronic music, it's like the electronics were hard to come by. They're expensive. Yeah. I love that part in the in, in the documentary where where the 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 blackout riots happen and then all of a sudden everyone had gear and it was like let's do it. That would have been dope if in Whitby where I grew up if it was like all of a sudden there was a blackout and I could go to Long and McQuaid and grab myself an MPC. That would have been pretty cool back in the day if I could do that, you know? You know, like this actually only occurred to me a little while ago, but um freestyle culture, like that's what I came up in as artists was freestyling okay and mm -hmm. i only realized a little while ago that part of why we were freestyling all the time was because we couldn't make music it, you yeah. you couldn't like you needed this you needed the equipment and it, i grew up in london ontario it's like where are you going to get where are you going to get an mpc and even if you can get an mpc how are you going to know how to use it yeah right and then you got to get records you know so it's like we we couldn't you know it was so prohibitive but um but yeah like hip-hop culture like our show really goes it really goes place to place right to see how this local new york culture started to interact with all these other local cultures and started to to evolve and change but what i was gonna say to like um your first question also was like uh i was geeked and uh one thing i realized like i was excited to talk to all these people. And what I realized was like, I don't have to hide that. In fact, if I show mm. my enthusiasm, it actually helps them get back to those moments because like, we all normalize our own lives. So yeah. they're like, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. I made, I made uh, the chronic big deal, you know? It's like, if mm. I'm excited, they're like, oh yeah, I guess that was pretty cool, you know? And then they can go back yeah. there a little bit easier. But, um, yeah. When you mentioned freestyling, um, can you, I ask every rapper that I talk to this because to be honest, uh, my, my buddy, Nigel from the pocket dwellers, cause we were talking earlier about, um, how you like, you like the pocket dwellers. Um, he, he likes to tell me every once in a while that my backpack is on a little bit too tight, right? Like I'm a little bit too much of a purist, right? Like, and, and he's probably right. Um, but when I was a kid, and I have so much respect for people that can freestyle because there was a pocket of time where I was okay, but like next to the guys that could really spit as far as like off the dome shit, I, I wasn't, I wasn't in their class and I was fine with that because I understand it's like, a, it's like being a bodybuilder. Like you need to like exercise that freestyle muscle all the time, but what the fuck happened to the definition? This is where the, what, what, what the hell happened to the definition of the word freestyle? I thought it was a universally understood thing. It's when you make shit up off the top of your head in that moment. And then somewhere along the lines, probably because some rapper couldn't do it, they were just like, nah, it's, it's just shit that people never heard before. I'm still upset about that. So I think it's a mix of things. I think it's partly that. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's also partly in the battle world, at least. 
I think what happened was you uh, retrieve lines that you've done before because you're on the spot. Is that, well, I think what happens is like, let's say you and I are always entering battles. Mm -hmm. And so I know you're going to be at the next battle. Oh, okay. I see where you're going. I'm probably going to come up with stuff for you. Right. So at a certain point, it's like, okay, well, let's get rid of the pretense that we're not coming up with stuff for each other and just come up with stuff for each other. Right. And that's how it's evolved, right? Like King of the Dot type stuff. Like it's I, think, people... I think that's where that evolved out of. Is it mm -hmm. like, yo, let's, it's always the same 10 guys. We're always preparing for each other. Let's just put it all out there and just do it. Like for real. But you're with me though. <laughs> I yeah, have to yeah. get you on record. It's like... own, it is its own art form. Coming up with stuff off the top is, is its own skill set. And, uh, and it's part of the culture. And I think it'd be good to preserve that. And there is part of it that I think is in the non-battle world. I think that, uh, you know, not everybody had the skills to do it and they got rid of it. Okay. Well, let's listen to um, Shad Freestyle. I think it's a freestyle. Even if it isn't, it's dope. So this is okay. from nine years ago. I just saw you post this on Instagram the other day. Seeds of future change right now in the present. As we work in our fields here, grounding the message in real life lessons, getting right down to the essence. Then we water that like a fountain when we're counting our blessings and sharing the hopes of our hearts and the doubts and the questions. See the seeds sprouting the trees that leave thousands of fresh ones. I haven't got there yet, but I found some direction. I'm not a Catholic, but these tracks is a sound of confession. It's like I said them and heaven sent down a postcard over a large ocean of doubt via Coast Guard. The angel just saying we're okay. We've all broke hearts, broke parts, fought and hurt, drank and smoked darts. We're all victims, we're all innocent, no charge. You're free to be who you are, now go and don't harm. The world is so starved for you being unique. That's cliche, but it often is with the truth. See, it's nothing too deep, it's nothing new. We all knew it as you, seems we just forgot as soon as we grew a few feet. And I think right after that, or right before that, before you did that, one of the two, you said, are these the kind of vibes that we want to bring back? Were you talking about freestyle or were you talking, like, what were you talking about there? Because I, I, I know that you're the kind of rapper that I love the best. And the reason why is because I don't see a glossy image over top of who you are. I see such an authentic soul there. I really do. Um, I loved how Brother Watching, I'm pretty sure it's your mom's voice that you sampled. And I think you yep. did it again in, in the... Um, was it God or work um, yep. in on the Tao album? And and I was just like, you know, the, this this cat is like, you're so impressive to me when it comes to that. But um, do you think that there's a too much gloss now? Like, it, does it depend on who the rapper is? Like, what are your thoughts on what's going on um, in the culture and, and in the music like that? Yeah, you know, I definitely think um, I've been I've been around long enough to track it. You know what I mean? And and I guess when I came in, when I came in the fundamentals you know of skills and having something to say and all that it was already on the fringes you know what i mean it was like alternative you know what i mean yeah. but it was yeah. still around um i think it's been pushed further and further to the fringes you know so when i said you want to bring these vibes back on tour it's like let's have these experiences around the music, you know, that the kind of experiences I fell in love with where, you know, people are really 
speaking from the heart and trying to craft something with some skill and uh, you know and presenting it with with some with some style and some conviction, you know. Yeah. Because um, yeah, when I started, that was already kind of alternative, but it was still close to the mainstream. You know what I mean? Like if you think about artists like the roots common most deaf lauren hill it's like well lauren hill was like a grammy award you know she was huge so so dope so dope so like those fundamentals of hip-hop were you know around very much and now i feel like they're still there but they're further and further from the mainstream i think that's fair to say yeah that's totally fair to say if i ever had the chance to make like some sort of super group out of three rappers because i used to hate it when people used to um take lauren hill and put her who's the best female rapper of all time i'm just like dude lauren hill can rhyme around almost every male rapper ever and she can sing so if i'm ever making a super group i'm making it with like quest love Nas, and lauren hill or something like that you know what i mean like she's always going to be part of that team um i wanted to ask you something actually a little bit earlier um a lot of us uh it, because hip hop is so new and because it's like new to people that are growing up, I was born in 76. So when I was like the first time I heard a, a rap song, I was nine and it was Lottie Dottie by Dougie fresh and a young cat named MC Ricky D who thankfully changed his name, best name change ever in the game. Um, to slick Rick. Right. Yeah. And, um, I thought I had discovered plutonium. Like I was like, what the fuck am I listening to? And then I just started like seeking out um, hip hop, which wasn't easy in Whitby, Ontario, Canada at the time, because there, there was barely a rap section. It was like fat boys and stuff like that. Right. And then all of a sudden, um, Def Jam artists started finding their way to me and I was buying like bigger and deafer. I bought bigger and deafer first and then radio because I had to go backwards. Do you remember the first rap song that you heard? I don't remember the first rap song that I heard. So I was born like a, a few years later. So hip hop was a little bit more around. You know, my early memories would be, uh, first of all, on the Canadian side, like Let Your Backbone Slide, mm. yeah. Dream Warriors. They played in my grade eight grad. Crazy. Yeah, I know. Did you know that they're like the fifth best selling billboard? Oh, what was it again? They have this crazy stat where they're like, um, they're like one of the only Canadian hip hop bands to fit, to be on the top 50 billboard chart or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Our heroes are, our heroes are unsung, man. Like our pioneers in Canada are unsung, like dream warriors were huge in Europe too. Yeah. You know, like that's Europe where Ivan Barry had to take them. That's what I was told. Anyways, I was told the story that Ivan Barry had to take him to UK because he couldn't get any, anything done with him here because I don't know if Canada still like this. You would have a better idea than I would. Yeah. But back in the day, it was like you got they almost encouraged us to sound like New York MCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And and like Dream Warriors were so themselves, like so mm -hmm. unique um, and dope. And like, that's what it was back then. You know, like you had to be different. Right. They West got to walk around with that weapon. That big staff, you know what I mean? Like, like they, you, I don't think people understand how dope they were, though. Like, you know, so 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 crazy dope, and like they get props, they get props everywhere. You know, when we talk to the pioneers, like they'd be like, "Oh yeah, Dream Warriors, super dope." 
And was it, do you think our industry itself is the problem? Like there's no, there's like, is it lacking infrastructure? Is it lacking imagination? Like now that we're in the digital age, it might be a bit better. I don't know, but. Yeah, it's all, it's all of the above, to be honest, you know, um, that it's just that lack of faith that like this stuff will appeal across the country, you know, it's just mm-hmm. that the, the, the belief hasn't been there, you know, and it's starting to be there a bit more now because with streaming, the numbers, you know, bear it out pretty easily and, and stuff. But, um, you know, Mishimi also another one that the pioneers we talked to, they're like, Oh yeah, Mishimi is super dope. Like, yeah, uh, I still and, have a crush on her to be honest with you. It's not known enough here that our pioneers, you know, what else is not known enough is that, uh, Toronto has one of the earliest hip hop scenes in the whole world. Really? Yeah. And Educate it, me, because I because I can I can name some of the people from back then, but like, what do you mean by that? Like, so so what I mean by that is the kind of parties that they were doing in New York in the early seventies, mid seventies, you know, that were hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of the influence of that was Jamaican style DJing, and that that same culture was in Toronto because of you know Jamaican immigrants landed in New York, London, England, and Toronto. So they were throwing the same jams here in the 70s. So it's like... Now Jamaican funk means something to me entirely different than what it did before. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know, like that that influence um, and that culture, you know, that was was here. Compared to, say, cities like um, even Atlanta that owns hip-hop now, but Mm. for the 70s and most of the 80s could care less about hip-hop. It was not their culture. Yeah, that's it's it's an interesting thing because even in uh, in that documentary, and I swear I'll move on from this, but I, I got to tell you, like I, I love talking to you about this shit because you know, um, but um, yeah, like even the first few chapters of 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 hip hop evolution, it was just just stayed in New York, like it was just yeah. a New York vibe, and it was like, you know, um, yeah, it was really interesting stuff. And um, be, I'm gonna ask you one last question about that, and then I swear to God we'll move on. Did good. you get to cipher with any of those MCs? No. Um, no, we kept it real, like, you know. Professional. Yeah. Professional. Um, and uh, one thing I wanted to add, too, like, again, back to your very first question, was the one person I was shook to, to speak to was Q-Tip. Really? Yeah. Why is it, though? Is it just because of the admiration? Like, dude, that guy, again like a staple I, I i don't like ranking artists so i don't um they're all different and they're all good and and i don't care to name a number one rapper but q-tip is so good because he's like he's on both sides he's a good really good producer yeah and one of the greatest voices in hip-hop history yeah. you know and yeah. and what he did for one love was you know like that like even even just like a simple chorus like that just like that's the identity of the song right yeah yeah, so, and I think I think what it was for me was like I prepared for every interview, obviously, and prepared for the person, but like I didn't realize till I was in front of him how much I owed this guy. Really? You know I mean, on like, that. like tribe, tribe, him, Fife, Alicia, Heed. It's like tribe started something that I participated in. You know what I mean? Like a kind of hip hop. Mm. 
like a like a like a less gritty but really artistic kind of thing. Like the native tongues were all like that, yeah. right? Like De La Soul, you know. Like na- native tongues, you know. So yeah, I, I definitely I would include De La in that. It's like they started something that I'm a part of. Like if they didn't start that, my life would be different. Yeah, no, I see. Exa- I think I know exactly what you mean. Like it was okay finally to kind of be a rap artist without having to be so tough. Yeah. Like they, they brought in this like different way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Like you could be playful, mm-hmm. creative, Afrocentric, you know what I mean? Like all these things, they started that. They made it. Yeah. Cool. They pre, do they predate dream warriors? It's around the same time, I guess. Or dream warriors might predate them even like, yeah, you know what? That's in, that's interesting. Dream Warriors might predate them. It's like roughly. I think the, they do. You know, it's roughly the same time. You know. Yeah. So that's why you know I had I was shouting out Dream Warriors too. Like you know these are like important artists as far as what I do spe- specifically what I do, but you know hip hop in general. Um, every, you know I'm, Kanye comes off of that. Pharrell comes off of that. Honestly, like they you know yeah. they drew inspiration from those guys. And that blueprint, you know, so. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's move on. Um, you have a tour coming up. Oh, wait, before we move on, where I used to live in Little Italy in uh, a college uh, between like Spadina and Bathurst. And I swear the Rose Garden video was done in my hood because I'm like looking at this and I'm like, is that my backyard? Is, is, is that where Shad is sleeping on his couch? And I was like, and so I just wanted to know where, where was that filmed? That's close. So that's between Harvard and Bloor yeah around um around Clinton around Christie ah okay so a little bit farther west of Bathurst a little bit further west of of them Bathurst and a little further north than little Italy but right, right. around there yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, they, like that's where I used to smoke weed before weed was legal. I used to just like travel, like I used to traverse the alleys around Little Italy and just try not to get caught smoking weed back in the day. Um, okay, listen, you have uh, a tour coming up. Um, I guess it kicks off on, uh, what is it, the 29th in St. Catharines? That's it, yeah. Um, I saw you talk to, um, I saw your Q interview last year about um, about sort of like, you know, I have a clip, but it's not done processing because I forgot to put it in until now. But you basically were talking about how um, you sort of had this vision of a circle. You remember that? Yeah. Can you go over that again? Because I was kind of stoned when I watched it <laughs> last night. And I was like, I really want to understand this, but I don't want to fake it. So maybe if you explain it again, like you can you can give me an idea of what you meant by that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, what it, what inspired the the album, the direction for the album was this image I had of a circle and the circle was divided into, let's say, seven or eight different pieces, okay? So imagine just like a simple two-dimensional circles cut up into a bunch of pieces. Then those pieces start to break apart and float away from each other. And then each of those pieces starts to disintegrate and disappear. So that was the image that was my in my mind. And it was an image to me um, that represented I guess us as individuals. So I, I I saw the circle as like an individual and the and the pieces as the different parts of who we are. So like our relationship to 
other human beings, our relationship to nature, our relationship to work, our relationship to um, the, the sacred, the, the, the spiritual. And it just uh, seemed to me like this good visual metaphor for what's kind of happening to a lot of people in our society, because it feels like all these different pieces of who we are, are like under threat. Um, so if you take, for example, work, it's like work is becoming more um, precarious and like harder to find or like our relationship with other human beings. It's like, obviously there's way more division and fighting and, and distrust in our society. Um, if I think about our relationship to nature, it's like, obviously, you know, like that's in crisis. So, so that image, it like, it, it just helped me kind of like think about what's going on with us right now. And uh, it also felt like a way to organize songs for an album. Like I can, I could write songs about oh. each of these different aspects of who we are. You know what I mean? That's really interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I find that really interesting, especially the sacred part, um, because I'm an atheist and mm -hmm. lately I've, I've been, I've been softening a little bit, not, not in my lack of belief in, in, in sort of an omnipotent being, but in, in my appreciation for other people's beliefs and in, 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 in whatever they would choose to even, it's, it, it's a strange thing for me because I was for years, I was, I was a really kind of militant atheist. I was just like, you know, it's, it's this, it's the you know, the opiate of the masses and it's like the downfall of our society can all be traced back to religion, this and that. But then, um, my father died and, um, I started thinking, um, about how I didn't have anything, you know, to, to sort of cushion the blow of an estranged father who he wasn't, we weren't even close. And, um, you know, when Kobe Bryant died, I know this, this is all out of left field, but this is this is what happened. When Kobe Bryant died, I I started thinking really clear, a lot more clearly about the value of a belief system. And now I'm envious of people who are mm. spiritual when they're grieving. You know, and um, yeah. to to look at the way that you constructed that album, just to circle back to that. Um, as a writer, you know, and as a hobbyist MC, which is what I call myself because I never stopped writing rhymes and spitting. I, and I do it for the love of it, right? Like I just oh. do it the same way people pick up a basketball and shoot hoops, even though they don't play for the Raptors. That's, that's how I feel about hip hop. And I'll, and I'll always feel that way. But like to be able to, 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 to piece out an album like that must have been really cathartic for you. Like just what? to be able to, to, to segment yourself like that. It was, man. I mean, you know, you know what it's like. Like I, somebody, somebody said this to me. They said writing is thinking. Hmm. I think that's true. Yeah. You know? So when I'm taking time to, as much time as it takes to write this album, it's like that's time I get to think. That's right. So it is cathartic. You know, that's, that's me getting to process all this stuff. Big have time. you had to, have you had to deal with, um, and I'm not trying to get you to, you know, share personal like things you might not want to share, but let me, let me rephrase. Has, has the music allowed you to sort of experience that mechanism of, of being able to recover from something traumatic? 
put it that way. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some specific examples. Um, um, Oh, there's there's a lot that I process, you know. I, I'm I'm fortunate. I still I still have my parents, you know. Like I, I haven't experienced that kind of loss yet in my life. Um, but loss of relationships, um, yep. you know. Loss of um, there's a song on my first album, um, that I wrote with my mom, that so my family's from Rwanda. And a mm -hmm. uh, lot of our extended family that I never got to meet, but like my mom's siblings, her dad, you know, um, died in the genocide. Mm -hmm. And so her lyrics really process that grief. And my lyrics process this, I guess, more confusion mm -hmm. about, yeah. You know, like, well, confusion. I don't. There's no yeah. other. If I had my no, head I get right, it. I'd say more. You know, but the confusion. I can tell of my yeah, someone that was fortunate enough to grow up in a safe place, and but it's kind of a coin. It's like a coin toss that I'm here. You know. Um, yeah. I, so yeah, man. Like the the processing uh, music has been that for me. Um, for sure. And that's what I always gravitated towards. Like I always loved music ever since I was a little kid, but the first time I ever heard like, um, I guess it's an example that stands out for me is, is Common's retrospect for life oh. where he's talking about uh, him and his partner having an abortion in one verse and then having a kid in another verse. That and he's directing it towards the kid that was inside of his, his woman right like like that he made yep. the fetus the audience for lack of better words and i thought that was just you know powerful. that so that when that came out i was like 14 or something and that was like i didn't know you could do that in music mm. hi i'm steve yurko and i'm tara sands now available from maji media is our new podcast for kids flashback Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.
I didn't like know that concept, the concept of directing it in the way that he directed it. I didn't know he could make music that deep, you know? I didn't know yeah. that. I, I watched much music. I watched, you know, the latest Michael Jackson video or something, you know? It was exciting. It was cool. But mm -hmm. I didn't know that you could do that. So, uh, and that ultimately, I think, is, you know, a big part of why I do what I do is because I realized, oh, man, like, this is serious. That's why I love hip-hop so much. Yeah. It's a genre that allows you to like be a filmmaker and a writer and you know an exhibitionist and a and a braggadocious character and all these things like in one song if you wanted to you know you don't see that in other genres right like a thousand a thousand percent you you hit the nail on the head like you can be a whole human being like that even if you're fragmented into seven even different if pieces, you're fragmented right? you can hold yeah. all those pieces together right like. You can, you can be, you know, we all heard, uh, who, who like Pac or whatever, like be super spiritual on a track and super political on a track and super wild and nihilistic on another track, you know, yeah. it's all yeah. him. That was all who I'm, he was. I'm a dear mama guy for sure. You know, and, um, Amazing. It, it's, I thought a love song in hip hop when I was young was, uh, all I need by Method Man and Mary Jane Blige. <laughs> you know and it is sort of a love song but it's like the grittiest love song of all time but then as i got older and i was i mean i guess cool j's i need love was sort of like the first hip-hop love song i think i ever heard but um yeah. you're I, I know that you love your mom and i've never met you and i love that about you you know like but your mom just based on the history that you just told me about um about her her relatives in rwanda she must be just the strongest woman you've ever known. Yeah. You know, like uh, a real deep strength, you know, mm -hmm. like a real deep strength, a real deep confidence. When I think back to even her uh, and my dad bringing my sister and I here, she's like 28. There's no, you know, in, in early 80s, it's not like you didn't have Google Maps. You just go somewhere sight unseen. You don't know. Yeah. What can you know about London, Ontario from I don't know. Kenya? It's literally the opposite of Rwanda, dude. <laughs> yeah, you can't know anything about it. It's like the opposite. But, you know, they arrived here with all full confidence. Like, yeah, we'll figure it out. You know? Mm. Um, That's amazing. So a lot of strength, uh, a lot of confidence, a lot of dignity. You know, I, I just... I admire that. Um, does she like being on your music? Like, or does she, is she shy about it, or does she enjoy it? No, I think she. I think she likes it. It's like a fun little thing to do, and uh, I think it's cool too because it's not like it crosses over into her world. Like, there's nothing for her to worry about. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't yeah. really cross over into her world at all. It's just like whatever. Um, yeah, that's right. But but you know what's cool is that you know, most immigrant um, families, it's like they want their kids to do something really practical, right? Mm -hmm. Secure yeah, a life for right. yourself. But because my mom always loved writing and loved the arts, she was like, you know, yeah, this is cool that you do this. And not that she pushed me into it, but more encouragement than I think a lot of immigrant kids got from their parents when they wanted to do something creative, you know? 
Well, really? Because the old prince taught me that your mom was pretty pissed off that you were always at home, kind of like lazing about. <laughs> did yeah, you, did as you much get... as any parent, as much as any parent should be, you know. Oh, but for I, sure. I love the razor. What was the razor line in that one? Because like I've been shaving my head for so long that like you know, if anyone ever tried to give me a bick to rate to shave my head, I'd just be like, "Are you fucking joking?" I'll cut my head in several different spots, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. And all, I wanted to know about, actually, I'm going to ask you a quick question about that video. How much time do you got, by the way? Like, are you looking at, like, I'm do you know how much time you have? Like 15, I think. Okay, cool. Um, did you have, like, any real, was there any part of that Old Prince video that was actually from the set of the Fresh Prince? Because if not, who the fuck designed that set? Because I was just like, this is crazy how. You no, know, how... they, they killed it. So, um, first of all, the, um location scouts the location scouting was crazy because they found that one house for the opening shot that looks like the, where was that the bel air mansion it was somewhere in markham wow really somewhere in markham and <laughs> like uh they let us you know use the front of their house they were cool about it so we yeah. shot that there and then um, some artist friends of mine like the director and a friend rodrigo some other people they they did all that spray painting on the wall, like where the chair is and is spinning. Right. Yeah. That's... They did all that. They copied all that. So those are all. They found an actress that they made look exactly like the mom from the video. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was a friend. You, you got that whole skip thing when you got out of the cab to walk to the door down. I don't know how many takes that took, but it was like brilliant. It was perfect. Right. I had to get the skip down and I had to get the, the, the head spin down at the door yeah that's i had to get that down yeah uh some friends of mine were the like the schoolyard bullies yeah they picked yeah, me up right. and spun me around um they must have studied the graffiti fun. too we did that in one day it was super fun they must have studied that graffiti too and just like still framed yeah. it and just did exactly what was on that wall did do you know if will smith ever saw that i don't know if will smith ever saw it jazzy jeff saw it yeah more accessible jazzy jeff yeah yeah and that started up like a, a, a relationship like he's always been super supportive oh really yeah and that was like the first time we connected was because of that video we i had him uh i booked him as a dj for one of my parties like 18 years ago or something and um just one of the nicest dudes like you know like yeah. He's a little quiet sometimes, but like, he, but he's super like professional and super nice. And he never like complained about anything, you know, like he was just like the greatest guy to work with. Um, and yeah, that, that was, the best. Um, he's the best. He's right up here. Like he's the best. And one of the best scratchers ever, ever. like the shit on that first album that the Fresh Prince's first album, some of the stuff on that is just like, there's DJs now that can't do that. Like that can't scratch like he did back. Yeah, then. he is. I mean, you know, in in the DJ community, he's he's the gold standard. Like, because yeah. he's done it all. Like, he can cut, he can uh, produce. Obviously, he's got a Grammy. Um, mm -hmm. He and he's just the best party rocking DJ. Like, yeah, live. I, I've always wanted to ask him how many times he he really got thrown out of Uncle Phil's house. Because if you go back, it looks like he's wearing the same clothes in every shot <laughs> that gets thrown out of the house in. So I'm not sure. Like, 
that's what or what he landed on about about the show um i was always just so interested in him as dj and musician but uh yeah i'm i'm curious i watched the new bel-air too there's a new bel-air oh yeah dude they um they rebooted it as a drama really who's who's playing the role of uh will this kid who's like got all his mannerisms and everything down really? but it's it's a drama it's like an hour long episodes i gotta see this yeah yeah it's like um i found that clip that i wanted to play before um and, yeah. and uh we're gonna circle back to the tour after this question because i know sure. that um that it's huge um the um the pandemic you were said something in that Q interview that I'll play now that I thought was you nailed it. Um, and and here I think this I hope this is the right clip. <laughs> but here we go. All these things you've just talked about that sound like pandemic things, they're actually what was already happening, and the pandemic just kind of like hit the gas pedal on them, accelerated them to like some some pretty wild extremes. Owned by we're talking on platforms with a reach with a power that is even difficult to con conceive, you know, it's even difficult to grasp and how they even function because of algorithms. It's like, even the people that make the algorithms don't know how they function at a certain point. So it's all extremely opaque. It's all, wow, mitigated by extremely, extremely powerful um, corporations that are of course invested in us just engaging more on those platforms that's their you know that's what they want that's how they make a profit um so yeah we can't we can't forget that the reason why i chose that clip and I actually spliced two clips together there um is because one of the things that i was i've been thinking about for the last two and a half years is how social media has made this pandemic a, a lot worse mentally and emotionally than than the pandemic probably would have if we didn't have social media. And um, I just wanted your thoughts about that just in general, just because, you know, those are the two big things that I think about a lot right now. Yeah, man. I mean, I guess when I think about social media, I think about um, a couple things. One, I think about how new social media is and how we can't forget that. Like we have this way of assuming that the way things are, the way things have always been, and therefore there's nothing we can do about it. So I think it's important that we remember, first of all, like Facebook, which is the first real social media site with mass adoption, started like 15 years ago or something. Like, mm -hmm. um, and secondly, like I was saying in the clip, it's like, these aren't, um, they aren't neutral. They're certainly not like benign. They're certainly not trying to help anybody's well-being, mental health. But they're also just not neutral. Sometimes we can think, oh, they're just neutral. They're just platforms and we use them however we want. It's like, that's not what it is. They're created and they're nurtured to be addictive and to, you know, and yeah. to like drive profits. So like, if and to divide what's that like the algorithms are designed to divide right like if you exactly. there's that the social dilemma i don't know if you've seen that yeah. documentary on netflix yeah. and you're just like they make more money if they can make you pissed off and argue with people 
that's it. That's it. That keeps you on the thing. So, you know, I, I, I think it's time for us to like, so now we're 15, 20 years into social media. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for us as a society to decide what we want out of this stuff, right? Like, it, it, can it be positive? Yeah, there can be positives for sure. But there's also negatives. And I think now we have enough time that we like, like we can take, we, we have some real perspective now. Like, this is what we like about it. This is what we don't like about it. This is what's dangerous about it. Um, this is what's dangerous about it for adults. This is what's dangerous about it for kids. This is what's dangerous about it for our parents' generation. Yeah. You know, people talk about social media and kids being dangerous. It's like, it's also very dangerous for a generation that is used to only reliable information. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Somewhat reliable. This world that, you know what I mean? Like, and now grandma's getting her accounts fished because she doesn't know not to click the link. Right. She doesn't know not to click the link. And she doesn't know that that article that looks like a real article is full of disinformation. She's only ever seen good articles before. Mm-hmm. I saw an art- I saw an article out of the uh, the UK that they were like, well, Trudeau's really turned into a tyrant because now he's getting his soldiers to run over old ladies with horses, and it's like that's not what happened. <laughs> Someone got accidentally a little hit by a horse because they were crowded around, and this horse kind of freaked out a little bit. But they're making it seem like, well, he's a tyrant now, and oh, we we have the evidence. He he made his police trample people with horses it's just like that that didn't happen that didn't happen yeah Um, you know i think the algorithm you nailed it in that interview by the way um because it's the algorithm yeah i remember the internet and even social media without any algorithms yes and you had to do the work if you wanted if i wanted to find shad i'd have to type in shad and then i'd find you now it's like if i'm a fan of shad my newsfeed will provide shad right yeah okay that's fine i guess but it's a little makes us a little lazy and it gives them all the power exactly and 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 we don't know the rationale behind what we're seeing you know that's the big that's like Mm -hmm. a huge 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 difference yeah like you said in early days of social media it was like time bit you open your feed and you just know what you're looking at is chronological or you know based on what that's right or whatever now it's based on you don't know what and in fact, the people that make the algorithm, even at a certain point, it's based on they don't even know what because it's like self-learning. So it's like they yeah. program it and then it learn. And then so then even they don't know at a certain point. And then we also know Facebook has run experiments on people on huge groups of population. Like, what if we do this to people's feeds? How will it yeah. affect their well-being? It's like in other um, government can't do that or even universities can't do that. If someone wants to run a psych experiment on you, you yeah. have to get their consent. Well, have you ever read the terms on these social media sites that you signed up for 15 years ago and probably have never gone back to see the 17th generation of fine print? It, a lot of it is crazy. Like, you know, one of the reasons why they make uh, your photos so small so if you upload a photo that's a really high res photo and it's like eight megabytes, once you upload it, it's like a megabyte. And the reason why is because they want to be able to take the high res photo themselves and do whatever they want with it, but they don't want anyone else to do it. So that's how they make their money. So the, the Facebook will like take like a million photos and just sell them to a stock photo company, you know? See what I'm saying? It's like, okay, so now we have 20 years of experience with this. 
I think we can sit down, you know, lawmakers can sit down and go, this is what we like, this is what we don't like, can't do this. And like, none of it should be off the table. Like, there's no reason why we can't say, you know what? Kids under 15 can't get a social media account or mm. like, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like whatever it takes to make sure that these things are serving us and not the other way around. Totally. Um, and you know, whatever happened to good old fashioned grind? Like, for example, Shad, I have to rely on you to retweet the podcast that yeah. I've tagged you in. And there's no algorithm. <laughs> so funny. There's no algorithm to like to get you to do that. If there was, I'd probably use it because I just want you to retweet it really badly because you have a lot more followers than I do. But like, but no, I want people to see the interview. But yeah. there is an there is a there's just an incessant like they're feeding us this laziness and and while they're feeding us this laziness, it's laced with poison. Yeah. You know, like it's, it, I don't yeah. know, I can't stand social you know media anymore. And, but it, yeah. it's like, it, part of why it doesn't change is because we internalize this idea that like, there's nothing we can do about it. Or this is the way it's always been. It's like, no, it's only very recently been like this. And it only is allowed to be like this because we don't say, we don't want it to be like this. You got yeah, off no our rules. That's right, because no one said anything like, you know, imagine this, you know, uh, chat rooms are really starting to impact society <laughs> because that's what it, all it was back in the day. If you wanted to talk to somebody, you would find a chat room and you'd be like, hey, do you like dogs or whatever? Like, you know, and it was just a normal conversation. Now it's like, oh, you're diametrically opposed to that person. Well, let's see if we can squish you together so you can fight some more time online so we can justify our ads. I hate that. Yeah, you know, it's even even Google, you know, at a certain point, we're like, we're just going to drive around, film everyone's house. Yeah. You know? Great. And we're like... <laughs> I'm in one of those, by the way. <laughs> I'm in, in like a fifth generation Google map thing. Like, like a, you can see me in the window of my house looking at the Google car like... <laughs> and so I went on like a year later and I'm like, I remember that day. <laughs> menacingly staring at that Google car as you pass by my house in the beaches. I was like, what the fuck's going on? That's, that's their way, man. They ask for forgiveness, not permission. That's right. Um, let's go, let's go back to the tour. Where yeah. do you like to, you like to play in Halifax. I was told by somebody like that is like, like if you had to pick somewhere gun to your head. Okay. Halifax. Is that true? Or is that? No, no, I like, I like Halifax. I'm trying to think of my favorite I don't think we lost you, but you're definitely, can you say something? Shad's floating and I can't hear you, buddy. Oh, it's your internet. I think Shad has an internet problem. Now we get to look at Shad's thinking face as he tries to reestablish his internet connection. Um, this, is Shad, this is Shad's technology face as he attempts to take it back. Are you here with me? Oh, no. He's going to go back and come back in, I think. Um, what a fascinating cat. I'm going to let him back in. I think he's back. He's back. He's back, oh. baby. There he is. Apologies. Sorry. I do. I do. Oh, have that's to okay. I think uh, someone else is trying to trying to get a call uh, interview in. Okay. But, uh, 
Okay. Um, Listen. No, I love I love playing. Um, trying to think of my favorite places to play. Victoria's underrated place. Hmm. Winnipeg's underrated. I hear that. Winnipeg gets a bad rep, but like I hear the people there are just amazing. I've never actually. I've been to the airport. That's it. Yeah, it's dope. It's dope, and it's a real music city. It's really down to earth. I love it. Yeah. Well, listen, um, Shad, this is the tour. Look on this. I, I'll also share a link where you can buy tickets underneath this, uh, underneath the tweet that that went out when uh, this went live. Uh, so we'll we'll try to get as many people as we can out to your show. And listen, buddy, it was it, I've interviewed you twice. Um, the first time I interviewed you was at your uh, PR company or something like near King and Peter or some shit. And um, and my cameraman after you walked out of the room was a great interview as far as I was concerned. Um, you left the room and he's like, I didn't get any of that. <laughs> so I was like, no. Oh. <laughs> so that was like 13 years ago. So I'm glad we had this chance to catch up. Um, maybe I could catch you uh, in Ottawa or something when. Uh, when you pass through or, or at the end of your tour, but either way, break a leg and have a good time, buddy. Thanks, man. I would, I, I would retweet this, uh, but I am actually on my phone right now, but as soon as I'm off, I'll retweet the link or whatever. That's great, man. I appreciate All that. Right. Thank you, buddy. All, All right. right. That's Shad. Peace, man. Um, one of my favorite artists, period. And it, he doesn't have to have the word Canadian beside it. Um, listen, like in Canada, uh, especially with hip hop, there, there are so many deserving cats that, that, that could have gone a long way uh, with their careers if they weren't born in Canada. Um, Shad has the, um, is, is, is like one of the exceptions. You know, there's, there's the Drakes of the world and everything, but I'm so proud of him. You know, uh, being a, a Canadian who, who is the, the face and the voice of the perfect hip hop documentary makes me really proud of him um later on in the week um i'm gonna have ra the rugged man on the show i'm super excited about that um because he legit was blackballed by def jam in like 1994 or something like that so we are going to have a good time with that i have a couple other things going on um that uh i don't want to talk about quite yet i'm going to be on the dean blundell show a little bit later in the week i think or early next week one of the two um, I'm taking um, a little bit of a step back from the Dean Blundell show. I think I'm going to do one a week podcast, maybe twice, depending on what's happening. Um, but I like it like that because I really want to work uh, on this show for you guys. Before we go, um, I've been experimenting lately with uh, with music. And uh, and as, as I said to Shad, you know, I've been rhyming for 30 years. I still do it because I think it's uh, it's one of the more um, therapeutic things that I can do in my life. And um, I'm sitting here um, for the last like two years during this pandemic, just just writing and and you know and recording and stuff. And uh, and then my cousin, who I reconnected with, uh, Dan DiFiori, Danny Dominico DiFiori, who goes by Gerns, um, is like, hey, let's do like a video for one of the tracks that you did for Black Vault. So I'm gonna close out with that, and um, and we will see you tomorrow, maybe tonight. There's a small chance that I might be doing a half hour podcast tonight on Pierre Polyev apparently is the way you pronounce his name um, but we'll see you uh, on that and uh, thanks for joining us and thanks big up to Shad thank you Shad for coming out I uh, really appreciate that thank you for having me look journalism is dead 
We'd all rather take selfies now than learn to comprehend. Look, I despise those colorblind, those self-absorbed reporters, those whores who suck the content for all the media hoarders. Those producers, man, they tap dance for the conglomerate's quarters. They exploit polarization, and it's done through gender, race, and borders. And meanwhile, they sell us fear, meds, and weapons every hour, leading bleeding screeds of misdeeds, but shit, none involving power. Those outlets, they insist they don't exist for shit clicks. Fuck, man, them pricks, they diss this writer like I was on some mysterious hit list. And the cable news, that's the villain. And I don't want to be mainstream. That's where fake dreams hit snakes and devils all up on the inseam. Know what I mean? A leg up into the armpit of all that corruption? Shit, this relationship, I think it's destined for a mutual destruction. Terror. Mayhem. Nah, I know. I'll cool it with them, Jays. But you better send your fucking eagle and meet the talons of this goddamn osprey. Why? I've been blackballed before Now I have to be my main source Looking out my front door Cause I've been blackballed But now I am older I know I have to keep on moving forward Never look over my shoulder We live inside a landscape where editors are predators And writers get shelved and never properly mented Never cease to increase the pressure of the mighty pens releases I defeat your fucking arsenal with a single chess piece Bless me, the non-believer Fuck commies and libertarians and conservatives Liberals, anarchists and presbyterians Fuck left-wingers, right-wingers, throat singers, salesmen The hats who got rocked by that mentally impaired kid I hate all of you Find the button, press play Abort the next generation Spare us from the next wave And let's not blur the lines of yesterday Just vibrate to your streetwise Psilocybin sensei It's true though Whether it's Trump or Justin Trudeau New clothes for those who lie straight faced And kudos to faith-based race baiters Guilty, shameful haters Put the plug your cross fader is filthy You milk these new breeds of dummies Who promote racism and then cry to their mummies MAGA, woke folks fight to a mutual death And no one's left to foster divisions after the last breath Now fucking die already Seriously Oh, but wait, one more thing, bring your newspapers in case we all run out of confetti. I've been blackballed before. Now I have to be my main source, looking out my front door, cause I've been blackballed, but now I am older. I know I have to keep on moving forward, never look over my shoulder, I've been blackballed. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. 
Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.